Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee. Hopefully, hopefully, he said, using his words like an adult, hopefully the first in a new, uh, new, uh, incredibly productive range of episodes in which uh, we are, they are shorter, uh, snappier, uh, more entertaining, and less uh, heartfelt and gut-wrenching, and me just outpouring all my troubles upon the world. Hello, how are you? More coffee. Mm. Anyway, so um, I'm back. It's been a while. Um, my, uh, as ever, stellar judgment in deciding to start a podcast at a period where I've been very ill. Uh, it's been a, it's not been a great six months. And if you've listened to the previous two episodes, you'll probably know why. But I'm hoping that this episode will be the last in what we can kind of unofficially call the sickness trilogy. And after this, we can get back onto other more interesting subjects and conversations with people I find interesting. Uh, so yeah, so what has happened since we last spoke? Well, uh, surprising no one, I've been back in hospital. Because I think the last time I recorded an episode, I had uh, I'd just gone out of hospital. Um, as I've mentioned before, long-running medical problem, which we believe to be Crohn's. More on that later and uh, which would frequently, maybe every couple of months, eight weeks, six weeks, result in me getting a, a, an utterly crippling bout of pain in my uh, lower right abdomen, which would uh, generally result in me spending a nightmarish night awake, kind of through the small hours, uh, rolling on the floor, in agony, uh, getting no relief. Like nothing, nothing would help. Uh, Painkillers did nothing. Uh, lying in different positions did nothing. Uh, just this same pain in my lower right abdomen, back pain, leg pain. You name it. It was pretty, uh, pretty horrendous. And as of recording of episode two of um, the morning coffee podcast, I had uh, I'd been admitted to hospital for the first time. Pain was so bad, uh, we went straight to A&E, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, ended up spending a few nights in hospital, uh, got painkillers. Um, the pain faded, as it always does, after about like 12 hours. And then they sent me on my way. They sent me on my way. Uh, on the understanding that while they hadn't been able to do anything for me, I would be seeing a consultant again in a couple of weeks. So the timing, while it's never a good timing to have an attack of utterly soul-wrenching, crippling pain, uh, the timing was quite good because I was soon to be seeing uh, the doctor I'd been waiting to see for several months. So, hey, it was good. Uh, So yeah, uh, what has happened since then is that I saw the consultant and she said that... I had, I was weird, basically. I don't think I, I don't think those were her exact words, but I'm paraphrasing. Anyway, she said, uh, you are weird because you have all the symptoms of Crohn's, but you have none of the chemical markers, i.e. every sample we've taken, be it blood, urine, stool, hair, skin, you know, you just have no inflammation markers in your blood, which is weird because you are quite clearly 
suffering an inflammatory reaction. Like this is just this is evident. Like you are, you know, we we saw it when we had a camera inside you, uh, and also you know your back is is inflamed. Your your uh, your leg is bad. Like everything just points to you having like some weird inflammatory reaction. But all we can tell from your your blood tests is that you have an elevated white blood cell count. So now, after kind of thinking you probably did have Crohn's, now we're not so certain. So, of course, that makes me a filthy liar because I've been saying in previous two podcasts that I had Crohn's and, I guess, apologies to anyone who does have Crohn's or UC and I hope I don't come across as a as a faker. That was simply the uh, leading medical thought at the time as to what was wrong for me and they kind of said with like maybe like a 99% certainty they were like you probably have Crohn's like you have all the symptoms of Crohn's we can't you kind of have Crohn's but we'll hold off until you know we'll we we just need to get like a that blood test or we need to get that one chemical sample back I mean the weirdest thing of course is that I met some people with Crohn's and the symptoms were identical identical and so i felt quite given everything the doctors had told me and the fact they said you have all the symptoms of crohn's i felt quite comfortable saying i had crohn's now i wasn't married to the idea of having crohn's in fact when you think about it i would much rather not have a chronic disease which will which will stay with me for the rest of my life i mean uh it's not a good thing to have hanging over you. And even if you are on medication, you will get better. But, you know, it never quite goes away. And you might need to change your medicine a bit to make it, you know, balance out for you. But there was a there was a, a great relief in knowing that what was wrong with you had a name. And even though there were consequences to being diagnosed with a disease like that, it was reassuring to know that I could take medicine and I could get better. And these attacks I was having, these flare-ups, these inflammatory reactions, would fade because of the medication. And I could go years without having one of these attacks because I was getting scared. Like the, these were hanging over me to the point where, with a with a startling regularity. I, I could kind of almost know they were coming. I was like, oh, damn it, you know, it's been six so weeks since I last had a problem. I think I'm due one. And then they would hit and they'd be terrible. And the worst part was you'd think, am I making this up? Is it all in my head? Am I somehow bringing this on me? And, you know, I guess the greatest validate is when you're admitted to hospital because, you know, you're in so much agony, you can't walk and they have to give you uh, morphine or tramadol uh, to kind of take the pain away. So, yeah, not good to be in pain, but it's nice to have a few medical professionals nearby to say that you're not crazy and you're not making it up. So, yeah, going back to the consultant, she said, you're weird. So the options are, you either have Crohn's, but you're part of a small subset of the population who don't display inflammation in the same way as normal people. She said, apparently, it's quite common in young, thin men, which is, I guess, a compliment. But uh, 
She's saying apparently, you know, just don't have, you know, your blood tests always come back negative, despite the fact you have inflammation. So she said, the options are you have Crohn's, but you're weird and you don't exhibit it in the normal way. (laughs) Pardon me. Or B, you don't have Crohn's. In which case, she said, I want to have a look at your appendix, which is where things get interesting. She said, in every scan you've had, in every MRI, every CAT scan, we've never been able to find your appendix. And at the time, she said, that's a mystery for another day. We'll look into that. But she figured, what if it wasn't Crohn's? And actually, there was something weird about my appendix. Maybe it was like folded up or wrapped around my my kind of gut in a weird way. And that's why we couldn't see it. But the one thing they could all agree on was, their words, there was an abnormality where I had the pain. So she said, she's going to, you know, I have some weird case history now. She's going to make sure it's all on record. She's going to look into it. And she said, the next step may be to have a capsule endoscopy. So we'll cut a little hole on you. We'll stick a camera inside and we'll have a look around and see what's what see what this abnormality is, and if we find your appendix while we're there, and it's, you know, messed up, we'll probably just whip it out. So, uh, I then had to have a capsule endoscopy. No, capsule endoscopy? Keyhole. Okay, yeah. No, she said, first a capsule endoscopy, which is where you swallow a small camera the size of a pill, and following that, a keyhole endoscopy, where we cut a hole in you and go in. Yeah. Keyhole versus capsule. Got to get that right. Uh, So the capsule endoscopy was to utterly rule out Crohn's. Uh, I I take it it's a bit of a weapon of last resort because it must be costly. Because they it's kind of amazing. They give you... I had to go into hospital. They give you this little pill. It's maybe like a large jelly bean in size. And it's kind of white and plasticky and smooth. And it's got two kind of uh, copper pads on either end. And what you do is you you touch it between kind of uh, thumb and forefinger on the copper pads. And I imagine that creates a little electric circuit which activates it. Uh, you then swallow it with a glass of water. It's, you know, it's no worse than swallowing a, I don't know, a rough pill or something, just like painkillers. And uh, and down it goes. So then for 12 hours on this one day, I had to wear uh, a kind of, like, medical girdle, like, going around my waist, um, uh, under my clothes, thankfully. And, and also, like, uh, a kind of black satchel bag. It looks a bit like a like a camera bag, and then a, a cable running from one to the other. So I looked a bit kind of um, weird walking around, but I think it was hopefully not too uh, obvious. Oh, pardon me, gonna skis. <laughs> oh, that's great audio quality that. Uh, and hopefully not many, not too many people noticed. And I went into work as normal. Hardest part was probably not eating or or drinking for like um, 15 hours because it needed like a clear passage through your gut and um, 
yeah, hopefully I didn't get too many odd looks. So, um, I did the capsule endoscopy. Uh, the camera ran through me. You don't get the camera back. That just goes the way of, I don't know, all things that pass through your body. And uh, you return a little black box in the camera bag. And then they get like, it takes like three pictures a second. And as it goes through you, and you get a, uh, like a magical mystery tour through your gut. And, uh, yeah, I was just waiting on the results of that and kind of waiting to see what happened. And I guess based on the findings of that, I was either, I was either going to, you know, be told, oh, you do have Crohn's and, you know, now you can start medication or they were going to say, well, we don't know what's wrong with you, but now we're going to cut you open and have a look around inside. One thing the consultant had said was that if you fall ill in the meantime, if you have another attack, uh, the irony is that if you're taken to hospital, they probably will just operate on your appendix. Because uh, at this point, we probably exhausted all other options. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there we go. Um, I'm trying to remember... I'm trying to remember exactly what brought this one on. I must admit, the last couple of weeks have been a bit of a blur. But, yeah, my memory's a little hazy, but I think we had... Uh, it was a... I want to say a Sunday night? Yeah, I think it was a Sunday evening. And... We'd... Either had tea. I really can't remember. This is weird. Maybe it's like a survival mechanism. I've just kind of blocked it out of my head. Anyway, long story short, I had another attack, and I was lying in bed. Uh, we'd gone to sleep, and I was woken up by the pain again, as is so often the case. And I was like, "Oh heck, it's happening." I tried to hold off calling an ambulance because I wanted to see if I could ride it out, but you know, I took as much painkillers as I could. Took some buscapan, uh, maybe drifted off for like an hour, woken up by the pain again, and we just had to call an ambulance. Like it was too, I mean, it, it was it was terrible. Like as I mentioned before, it's it's hard uh, to sit here now and talk uh, dispassionately about what happened, but um, it's almost like it happened to someone else. Like uh, it, I I was I was kind of. I was screaming, I was moaning, screaming, punching my bedside uh, cabinet, crying. It was just agony. And I think um, the waiting was the hardest part because we called the ambulance and, you know, there's only so much they can do. They have limited resources and you just have to wait. And, you know, I guess if someone has accidentally cut their arm off, they are going to be higher priority than you. But I'm there just writhing, crying in agony. Lucy's on the phone to the ambulance and trying to comfort me. And eventually they come and uh, the first thing they do is inject me with morphine. And mercifully, it takes the edge off and I kind of just zonk out right there on the bed and just like, oh, like just to have the pain numbed by that tiny bit was enough to just 
yeah oh man such relief like it was it, it's a kind of pain which just consumes your entire existence like you can't you lose track of past future all you can think about is this horrible present in which you are in utter agony and it's just kind of dragging you know dragging ahead of you and it, it's like it's it's a form of hell like it is i don't want to put too fine a point on it it was it was horrible utterly horrible and the moment they gave me the drugs i started to forget about it it was just so intense i just couldn't kind of i you can't even i guess you can't keep it in your brain after that and um yeah they they gave me various drugs to take the edge off uh carried me downstairs uh i can't stand straight i've got to got that bent over thing and i'm just in my kind of like pajama bottoms and you know showing a bit of flesh to the world and they they drag me into the ambulance lie me down with great difficulty movement is not my friend at the moment uh hold me down uh give me as many drugs as they can and whisk me off to hospital down uh, down the road so yeah i won't go into i'll try not to go into exhaustive detail here but i i ended up spending well they admitted me on very early monday morning so kind of like 2 in the morning uh and i got out of hospital on friday morning uh on friday morning uh minus 1 appendix and uh the reason i was in that long uh i guess the pain the pain probably faded by monday evening as it always does it always hits very hard burns bright then it's gone but i was in hospital so long because they kind of finally realized they finally had my full case history and they realized this was a very weird situation and i guess they wanted to keep an eye on me but also i needed to see a gastro doctor. I needed to see someone who specialised in, in you know, the intestine and my kind of problems, and no one was available. So there's this weird trade-off between I probably could go home and I probably could free up a bed because, like I said, the pain is really bad for a day or so, and then I'm fine. There, there is a particular, I guess, pathology to my illness we know how it works and but but i guess the problem was i if i go home the system start the cycle starts all over again and i have to wait to fall ill or i stick it out in hospital wait until someone sees me and maybe i'll finally get the treatment i need so a few days go past see a doctor i i've told my story to so many people now over and over again i've got it kind of like committed to memory various doctors kind of like Hmm, like kind of, hmm, hmm, kind of like nod, and I think the general consensus is I am a bit weird, and this doesn't seem like a normal uh, form of appendicitis, if indeed that is. And of course, I'm saying I had a capsule endoscopy a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know what the results of that were. So if you could get those results, maybe we'd have a better idea of what was going on. And they couldn't reach the they couldn't reach a consultant who'd been seeing me, so it was just a waiting game, just a waiting game really. And I got bounced about through various wards. In the hospital, uh, I was in the ear, nose, and throat ward for uh, uh, certainly a couple of days, and uh, of course, in like the hubbub of getting me to hospital, uh, my glasses had been left at home. Uh, I, I didn't have any kind of like uh, 
All I had was my my uh, phone, actually. And I guess one thing is for Hosco had very good Wi-Fi. But of course, um, without my eyes working properly, uh, entertainment was a little hard. So it's kind of like going a little mad from boredom until um, Lucy and my mom very kindly brought me uh, my spectacles and and books, so many books and magazines to kind of entertain myself with. And uh, yeah, around, uh, saw, finally saw a gastro doctor, told him everything. He uh, he said, well, it's a little odd. It's a little odd. And I said, well, maybe you just want to get in there, you know, dig in, see what my appendix is like, and then we'll work it out afterwards. And I think, understandably, they're a little reluctant to just go sticking the scalpels into someone based on what the patient wants. I'm just going to get a refill on my coffee. There we go. And uh, so they got me another CAT scan. Uh, I think he seemed a little sceptical. I have a CAT scan. Uh, wait for results. He comes back and he's like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, he seemed surprised. But he's like, yeah, it's totally your appendix. Uh, for the first time ever, we've been able to see your appendix on a CAT scan. And the people down in radiology are like 100% or as near as they can statistically certain that your appendix is inflamed. I was like, wow. So... Like, I thought with appendicitis, uh, you got really ill very quickly, whisked you to surgery, ripped out your appendix, and you got better. I didn't think that you could have, uh, like, a problem with your appendix lasting nearly three years, which is kind of how long it has been at this point. Like, the idea that it could flare up a bit, you get ill, but then it drops away. It flares up, drops away, flares up, drops away. I, I didn't think this was standard. And I'd, and I'd never had a fever while having one of these attacks. I thought that was pretty, like a, a pretty, um, you couldn't really dispute that, that you, you had to have a fever. But I did a bit of research on my phone, you know, kind of like home doctor. And apparently more more cases than you would expect of appendicitis don't have that classic fever. I think it's something like forty percent of people don't have symptoms uh, of um, classic appendicitis when they suffer. So I guess technically, everything I've been suffering from the last three years, like uh, all this thought that I might have uh, food intolerances, or it was it was stress related, or it was uh, it was Crohn's, or that it was some form of bowel disease. I, I guess it turns out it was actually my appendix. Uh, which is kind of, which is kind of incredible, really, when you think about it. And I'm still living in this post appendix revelation world, and I don't entirely know how to feel about it. Like, but I guess in principle, I could be better now because I had my first surgery, and they took out my appendix, and it all went fine, and now I don't have an appendix. And so, yeah, so I. Uh, I had my first surgery and my first uh, general anaesthetic, and uh, that was fun. Uh, again, probably the hardest part was they told me it was going to be like midnight on Wednesday, so I hadn't been eating for a good while before then, but then it ended up stretching through to kind of Thursday afternoon, so I don't think I'd eaten or or drunk anything but like a few sips of water for about 21 hours before I had the surgery. And uh, 
I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little scared. Um, I think more, more scared of like the anesthetic rather than the uh, the actual cutting and slicing. Because I, I mean, you hear a lot of horror stories, and I, you know, and you hear. I know a lot of people who have had surgery, and they've said that you know the anesthetic made them very ill, and they were kind of, you know, sick for a little while afterwards. And and you know also like you're, I've never had a, a general anesthetic before, and you are, you know, you're kind of you you're losing consciousness. I I was fascinated by what this would be like. You know, would I dream? Would I? Would it be like sleeping? Would it just be like? Is it like death? Is it just kind of not not being aware anymore? It was really crazy, and um, so you know, you change into the hospital gown, a rather sexy hospital gown, and you put your your surgical stockings on, which are really tight, and uh, you lie back, and they wheel you into surgery, and you go through corridor after corridor, kind of like the behind the scenes bit where all the surgeons are kind of hanging out, and we go into this little waiting room, which I guess is like the atrium before the operating theatre and you know the doctors are two doctors are seeing me and they're kind of like um you know prepping my arms and putting various you know drugs into me so they put like a primer kind of drug in and they say like i think this is like the same sedative i had when i had the colonoscopy because they go like oh yeah having it is like having uh it's like having a few pints you feel kind of just chilled so they put that in they injected one thing, and I, I just felt a bit kind of tingly. Then they injected uh, another thing, and I definitely started feeling like, I don't know, definitely kind of woozy, like dizzy. Like I just felt a bit kind of ooh, a bit kind of like room spinning. And then they put the uh, the gas, you know, the little mask over your face, and they go, just breathe normally, and they're going to count to like ten or something. And I honestly thought that like losing consciousness, you'd have like a kind of Maybe like the edges of your vision would darken, and you'd feel it just kind of like creep in, and then and then everything would fade to black. But it's it's crazy because like they put the mask on you, and he starts counting. I think I remember one, I think I remember two, and I was just waiting for it to kind of come on, and then literally like a like a with a snap of a finger, like like a I'm suddenly bang, I'm awake, and I'm in a different location, and I'm lying on my back, and I feel like kind of like like what the hell just happened. And there's a doctor standing next to me going like, ah, oh, you're awake. Uh, it's done. We've had the operation. And I was like, I, I, I was definitely kind of like out of it slightly. Like I was a little bit kind of, um, a little bit kind of drunk, a little bit kind of like woozy. And I'm like, wow, that was staggeringly quick. And I think I got very talkative. Like I was determined not to be, you know, kind of like a little bit of my brain, which was still kind of fully sentient, was like, don't say something stupid. Don't be the one who kind of like starts spilling all his childhood secrets because you put him on drugs or something. Just be cool. Be cool. So I, I was really trying. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy who was like, hey, like surgery? Yeah, it's nothing. It's fine. So I think I had a fairly normal, uh, lucid conversation with the doctor. We chatted about Canada, what it was like living in Canada. Uh, I can't remember what he said. I just remember I talked a lot. Uh, as evidenced by this podcast, I'm not, I'm certainly not uncomfortable talking. And, um, yeah, I, I, I felt kind of, I felt great. Like I, I felt kind of, 
uh, I felt, wow, this is amazing. Like, this is great. Uh, a little sore, obviously. I didn't dare kind of look at my stomach. And um, this is great. I feel this is wonderful. And they, they wheel me back to my room and I'm feeling high. I'm feeling kind of like happy. And uh, they say I can eat. And I have this sudden craving for like fruit pascals. So when I picked up my phone, uh, I, I texted Lucy and my mom, and I was like, hey, I'm out of surgery. Uh, I feel great, really kind of dreaming of fruit pascals. Uh, and with, with like, joking, like, kind of saying, like, you know, hey, I, I can't wait to eat. I'm going to eat all kinds of things. I'm so hungry. And they were wonderful because they brought me three packets of fruit pascals, and, which I kind of devoured. I had a turkey sandwich and, uh, and three packets of fruit pascals, and I'm not ashamed. They were amazing. Some of the best things I've ever eaten. So, Lucy, my parents came to see me, and I started flagging a little bit. Like I, maybe finally some of the euphoria, kind of, and the good happy time feelings of the drugs, kind of like dipped away. And I, I, I remember like, I, I just felt kind of. I started feeling a bit sick and a bit faint. And they came in. Uh, the, the nurse very kindly came and gave me some uh, anti-nausea drugs, and I started feeling better again. Got some water in me. Uh, they even brought me a coffee. I had a coffee. I had water. I ate a turkey sandwich. I ate so many fruit pascals. My parents. I was able to see my parents. I was able to see Lucy, and it was kind of wonderful. And then I said my goodbyes. Uh, they all had to clear off for the evening, and I went to sleep. And I was, you know, in the middle of the night. I was even able to. Uh, get up and I walked to the toilet and everything, and like, a bit like the walking, walking wounded, but I felt pretty great. My stomach was definitely sore and moving was difficult, but I was able to do it. And uh, the following day, I went home, and the following day, I felt like I felt incredible. They did warn me about this. They said you can get a kind of like post surgery post-anesthetic kind of euphoria. Like, I just felt kind of, um, I felt great. Like, you know, the world was my oyster and everything was kind of fantastic. Uh, I was chatting with the two guys on the ward with me. There was a, I can't remember his name now, which is terrible. There was a uh, chap in like his 60s who uh, worked in an abattoir his whole life. And now he was retired and he made music. And he was there having like a little lump removed from his face. He was a nice guy. Then, then there was another chap who had the most amazing name, which I can't even remember now. But he'd, uh, he'd, oh God, I'm fine with injuries to myself. But if someone's talking about one of their injuries, but he'd managed to like, he worked on a scrap in a scrapyard and he'd been like reaching into a pile of metal to grab some stuff and a big pile of like something really heavy had fallen on his hand and pushed it down onto like a jagged edge of metal and he'd ugh he just he'd torn up his hand something awful broken a few of his fingers it was just it was vile um but yeah nice people and again i was feeling pretty like hey brotherhood of man like oh, isn't this wonderful like we're all we're all friends and we're all we're all surgery buddies and I was really chatty and it was a good time it was a good time uh and then i went home and uh i uh I got, and I had, uh, with every high, there is a corresponding low. And I know for a fact I was very, very depressed over the weekend. Like, I do get depressed sometimes. And uh, 
I know, you know, I know what it's like. Uh, I kind of know the signs and I could, I knew kind of like academically a little bit. My brain was like, you are depressed and everything you are feeling right now is irrationally bad and it's fine and it's not that bad and it will get better. But it didn't change the fact that in that moment I was, I was very down. I was very depressed. Uh, weirdly, I was, it sounds, it is irrational, but I, I just felt really, really low. But I also felt kind of like sad for my skin, which sounds stupid, but like, I was like, oh, my beautiful skin. And now I have like, I have like scars and everything. Um, I actually do now have um, three scars, which was a very interesting thing because when they take your appendix out now, they either do like a kind of, if it's really bad, they might do like an open uh, operation, which is basically where they just make a long cut along your belly and reach in. But I had a laparoscopic uh, appendectomy, which is um, it's uh, it's quicker and it's smaller, and it's a keyhole surgery. But what they do is, which is quite interesting, is they cut three holes in you, so they actually go in from the other side. So your appendix is on the right, but they go in from the left, and so I have I have one hole. Like a just below my belly button, I have another hole uh, just above my groin, and then I have another hole uh, in kind of like uh, the left lower side. So it's like a kind of triangle, and there are varying sizes. And uh, they'd obviously put disposable stitches in, but they'd also kind of like glued me shut with, I guess, like super glue. So I had like these three kind of patches of glue. And, and then you could see, like, kind of like the wound underneath. So it all looked a bit manky and disgusting. And I had a lot of bruising. So the one in kind of like the lower left side definitely looked the worst. Like, uh, it had a big, um, nasty kind of uh, black patch around it. And what they do is they put in, uh, I guess, a camera goes in one hole. The, I guess, the surgical tongs for cutting out the appendix go in the second hole. And what they do is they put a they put a balloon in the third hole. So they they pump up they put this balloon in and they pump it up so to distend your gut or your or really distend your uh, abdominal wall. So they have space inside uh, to work. So I've been guessing I've been trying to work out which hole is which because some holes are some scars are bigger than others. But uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I have, a, I have a nice collection of scars. Now, um, and, well, let me see, that was Friday, that was a, no, that was a Thursday, so that, it's now been a week and one, two, three, four, so it's been, it's been 11 days now since the surgery, and uh, the scars, I, I mean, they've healed so quickly, it's kind of crazy, you know, all, all the, um, all the manky glue came off and now there's you know lovely kind of pink flesh underneath so it is healing and i've just been i've made the most amazingly quick recovery recovery like it was getting better and better and better each day had a little slump a few days ago where i thought i was getting better but then it dipped again like uh I, i'm walking you know i was i was pretty sore and stiff and i wasn't very agile and obviously the, the sight of the wounds hurt and my abdominal wall hurt. And, um, but I'm getting better. I am. I, I, it is an improvement. Like every day I feel more mobile and I'm sleeping better and I'm not in pain anymore. 
and uh, it's kind of wonderful, really. I had a slight dip a couple of days ago where I started getting shooting pains again where my appendix was. But I'm now on some... We went to see the Out of Hours GP and they reckoned there was nothing wrong with the operation. I hadn't slipped a stitch or anything. They reckoned uh, it was all healthy. The only problem was they reckoned I maybe had just a little bit of nerve pain after the operation. So what is that? Neuralgia, I think. So they prescribed me uh, some antibiotics, just to be careful. And uh, also, yeah, some amitriptyline, which is a mild antidepressant, which works on nervous pain. So it just kind of numbs numbs the signals uh, slightly. Uh, so yeah, since since I've been on those drugs, I've been feeling great, and uh, I'm just I'm just now in the recovery period. And you know, I've spent a week in spent a week in hospital, better part of a week in hospital. Uh, been signed off for a couple of weeks. And uh, I hope to be, I hope to be re-entering society soon. And uh, I've been able to, you know, it's, it's gotten better and I've been able to walk now to into town a couple of times. It's only like a 10 minute walk from our house. And yeah, it tires me out, but it's improving constantly. And I, I think if I'm honest with myself, I feel good. I feel good. And I mean, I was caught up in a whole kind of like recovery after the operation, but it's starting to dawn on me now this kind of crazy idea that I might be cured in a weird way. Like I might, I hopefully will never have another attack again. And it's, um, it's very weird. It's very weird to imagine that that might be the case. Um, I mean, another like certainly like when they realised what it actually was, and they were like, "No, this is your appendix." It was this weird notion to think that like this thing, this little like kind of vestigial organ inside me, um, this little evolutionary hangover which does nothing on a daily basis, was actually making me ill. Like it was, it, it was so weird to kind of suddenly realise that I have a focus for all my kind of or my ill health, I have a focus for all these kind of bad feelings, and uh, and I don't need it, and we can we can just cut it out, and it's kind of crazy, because I realised that, like, I've not felt well for the better part of half a year, you know, I and it's this crazy idea that, like, even between attacks even between like these big dramatic moments of being in hospital i just felt rough like i, I just I've, I've just felt so under the weather for so long now and it's i mean this my appendix was essentially poisoning me it's a crazy notion to think that like i had this thing inside me which has just been making me ill for so long because i guess even when it wasn't flaring up and causing my entire bowels to shut down and causing like my psoas muscle to flare up and just causing like this crippling everything just to hurt. Like, you know, I guess I was, I was, it was, it was constantly in a state of like infection and I got better when they gave me antibiotics, but then I came off antibiotics. Like, I guess it flared up again. I just, yeah, I, it's just, I've, I've been running on like 60% maybe for so long and, and now I am going to get better. And it's a really radical notion to think that, like, I can now... This has just been the weirdest year. Like, this year has just been almost like a bit of a write-off. Like, 
I've missed so much work. I've it's made me kind of so unhappy. I yeah, it's been I've I've been very unhappy this past year, very depressed on occasion, and it's nice to think that there could be such a simple solution to it all. Like this really could be the start of a whole new era of health and 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 kind of happiness. And it, it's it's crazy and I don't think it's entirely sunk in yet. But yeah, I guess aside from, maybe I don't know how much of this is psychological or just, you know, the kind of placebo effect, but aside from, you know, the obvious pain of like the surgery, I think I do feel better. I think I, I just I do feel a bit brighter, a bit kind of a bit more active. A bit more energy and you know, kind of long long may it continue. So yeah, I guess hopefully, unless you hear differently, this could be the end of the whole ill health saga. And you know, maybe maybe now I can kind of kind of get on with, with life again and um do fun and exciting things. So yeah, um I had originally, you know, if I hadn't been ill, I had originally planned to have a few days off. Uh you know, in this period which I'd actually been ill, but I did have some time booked off from work. And I was gonna spend I was just gonna spend time working on getting the new uh Kickstarter ready for Afterlife Inc. Man Made God, Volume 4. Because I don't know, as with many things with my health and other commitments, I feel like after I think has just been in stasis for a good while, and I feel so much of my life and you know my my mind and I, I've invested so much of me in these characters that not having them, not working with them, not having them come to life again on the page, um, it's kind of felt like a little bit of me has been missing. So. Now, now that hopefully I'm getting healthy again, I want to. I want to reclaim that. I want to. I've been sitting on on book four for too long. The time has come to actually get it out there. So, yeah, the good news is is that finally, after after a long time, after I think is returning and book four, uh, volume four, Man Made God, is half made. You'll be very pleased to know, half funded, uh, self funded, and I'm going to go to Kickstarter to, just to cover the rest. And I aim to launch a the Kickstarter at the end of the month. Um, hopefully coinciding with Melksham Comic Con, where we are doing a where I am doing a panel about Afterlife Think and what the future holds. And it'd be wonderful to be able to go live at that exact moment and uh, to be able to talk to people and uh, just kind of. Sharing the joy of Afterlife Inc. at that precise moment in time, because it's wonderful to think that people are excited about this, because I'm excited, and I love these characters, and I can't wait to take them on, uh, you know, to wherever the future holds, be it good or be it bad, because I know things are going to get a little more challenging for Jack and Co. And I've long talked about this, but and I will talk about this in greater detail on future episodes where we'll talk about the history of Afterlife, I think, as I had intended before I got so ill. But uh, these are the stories I'd had planned from the beginning. These are the stories I'd had planned for Afterlife, I think, 
since I since I first came up with the characters in like 2007. And all the stories I've made so far have actually been side stories. These have been like a kind of, this was me learning my craft. Like I, I wasn't good enough to tell the stories I wanted to tell. So I decided to tell other stories and in doing so, they grew in ways I could never have imagined and became something different and something interesting and something wonderful. And now I'm going back to those original stories, the kind of, you know, the rise and fall of Aftal, I think. And it's it's very exciting in a way to go back to those original ideas and see how they've changed because new characters have entered the fray and, you know, we've had new adventures and, and it's all informed it. It's made it like a, a, a better, a stronger kind of story. But also it's sad because by starting on this path, I'm ultimately, I'm going to have to end. You know, because after I think it was always going to have an end. I didn't want it to drag on forever. I think it'll be all the sweeter for knowing that these characters won't be around forever. But a little, it breaks my heart a little bit to think where these characters are going to go and what's going to happen. And to think that one day I will not be working on after I think. And one day this will all be done. But I feel we have to. I feel that's part of, in a way, the whole story of After I think is sometimes you need an end to make the beginning and the middle worthwhile. So I can't wait to I can't wait to start this journey, and I hope that some of you will want to come along for the ride. Heck, and it's not to say it won't be fun along the way because I'm looking right this second at some of the most truly astonishing cover designs for the new book from an amazing uh, new artist. Well, he's not a new artist. I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> he has a career and everything, but a guy I've not worked with before. His name is Raphael. He's part of a group uh, which uh, I think the Art Steady group of artists are Italian guys who we've met at a show, a couple of shows now in London. And David is one of them. Uh, David is doing some of the new pencils on the book. It's fantastic. And Raphael We'll be doing our cover, and it is just astounding. Like I, I am excited to look at these. I've done a redesign of the cover layouts for the graphic novels, like kind of taking it into the new age. And he's just sent over like rough, like rough pencils, like layouts, and flipping heck, they are incredible. This guy is is an astonishing talent, and I'm I'm honoured to have him on the book. And I can't wait to show you all how this comes together. So. Uh, do keep watching this space. Uh, do keep an eye out on uh, kind of Twitter, Facebook, and the like because this is big, and I'm very, very excited to show you uh, what's what's on the horizon. <sighs> so, yes, thank you everyone for listening. I do believe that Morning Coffee is back, and will hopefully be back in a a more regular. Uh, a lighter, a less health-orientated fashion, and it's going to go back to, or it's going to start being what I wanted this podcast to be, which would be interesting stories, interesting conversations with both myself, other people, with you, talking about anything of interest, and definitely, definitely, definitely not my bowels. So, good morning everyone, and thank you for joining me. This podcast, and others like it, is made possible thanks to our wonderful backers on Patreon. To support Big Punch Studios as we make comics like Afterlife Thinking Semi-String, games like Sandwich Masters, and podcasts like the one you've just been listening to, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Big Punch Studios. 
For just $5 a month, not only will you help make everything we do a reality, but we'll also send you four copies of Big Punch magazine a year. That's over 180 full-color pages of comic action, featuring Cuckoo's, Orb, 99 Swords, and Catamarang, delivered straight to your door. This has been a Big Punch Studios production. For all things Big Punch, be sure to head on over to www.bigpunchstudios.com.